Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Well, hello, hello, and welcome to the show. It's Brooke Taylor here in for Timory today. Happy to be with you on this feast of St. Faustina Kowalska. It's also Marriage Hour. Every Thursday here on Trending is Marriage Hour. A defense of marriage is what we're going to talk about for the next whole segment of this program and I just want to jump right in because we have so much to cover this hour. The sacrament of matrimony we know and every Thursday in different ways and throughout the year and in different programs here on Relevant Radio, we address the fact that it is under diabolical attack. We've experienced that, we've seen that, we've witnessed it, and it's so critical because that is where we know the faith is transmitted first by way of the family. And as we're about to be reminded of this entire hour, the marital covenant is the nursery of all vocations. I love that as in the words of the forward of the book in uh, the author that we'll talk about today, and our parishes will be restored, communities, our countries, there'll be more vocations in the church when families are restored. And of course, the root of the family is husband and wife. And my guest today has written a new book that offers practical solutions with beautiful true stories, difficult stories, stories of martyrs and heroes that seeks to benefit, I think, the laity and the clergy. Everyone can benefit from this book. And on that note, I want to offer the studio line as we jump in here. It's open this hour for you to call one 914 would love to hear from you and your insights about marriage. Do you have a story about fighting for your marriage or an experience when you saw a marriage restored? We're going to touch on that a lot more this hour from social science to the sacraments to theology, martyrdom, as I mentioned, and a lot more. And pleased now to introduce my guest to you for the next hour, John Clark. Mr. Clark is a columnist, political speechwriter, ghostwriter. He's also a graduate of Christendom College, one of our national sponsors here at Relevant Radio. And his mother, you might know, very, very much endeared to her. That is Dr. Mary K. Clark. She is the executive director of Seton Homeschool. Back in the year and for decades, one of the great trailblazers, I think, of Catholic homeschool education. And Mr. Clark's new book is called Betrayed Without a Kiss, Defending Marriage After Years of Failed Leadership in the Church. Delighted to connect now. Welcome to the program, John. It's quite an honor to be with you. Thanks so much. Thank you. Just, well, congratulations on your book. Thank you for writing this. It's brilliant. And as I mentioned, I think for clergy, married couples, singles, engaged. And I guess I wanted to start with that because when I, when I read the title and I got the book, I don't know that I anticipated all that. I knew it was going to be good, but who is this book for? I guess maybe the complete premise we can open with that. Wow. Who's the book for? Well, I mean, really, it's for every Catholic out there, I would say. I think that's a fair way to say it. I, the, the impetus for this book was is that a friend of mine was going through some difficult times with his marriage, and it looked like a divorce was on the horizon. 
And so it presented me with an opportunity to go back and really delve into marriage and, and the sacrament of matrimony specifically. Now, I've written a couple. I wrote. I've written a couple of books. Uh, my wife and I just celebrated our our thirty first wedding anniversary this week. Um, wow. And I've written a few books about what it's like to have nine children and homeschool nine children, and you know all of my things I've done well, the things I've messed up on, um, the fact <laughs> that you know I'm very much a work in progress, um, and families are. But this is you know we stick together, we pray together, and it's sort of a it's it's a. I wrote two sort of kind of funny books, for, sort of lighthearted. I, I hope there's certainly lots to take away, but they're they're pretty lighthearted. But I haven't really gone into marriage. Uh, quite as much. So when my friend had these troubles, I thought, okay, I'm really going to investigate matrimony. Now, you were kind enough to mention that I went to Christendom College, and at Christendom, I took uh, six theology classes, and one of the classes was devoted, uh, six, actually, I think it was seven courses. One of them was devoted to the sacraments. And it did, it kind of fascinated me about the whole uh, idea of matrimony. So I might have started this book, as it turns out, when I was about 21 years old, and you know, I'm 52, but um, anyway, so I wanted to delve into it, and I wanted to go back all the way back. So I thought, okay, well, so if we're going to try to figure out what God intends for marriage, let's go all the way back. And by all the way back, I mean the Garden of Eden. Yeah. And so I wanted to look at, um, you know, what is it that God wanted? So I, I wanted to see... I would try to I try to look at what was the same and what's different by looking at the garden. Well, it was indissoluble from the beginning. That's interesting because obviously marriage is indissoluble now. It was indissoluble for Adam and Eve. What strikes me as interesting is, is that Adam and Eve go through this the, the most tumultuous marriage, and it happens right away too. They're married very shortly, and the creation falls because of their sin. What's interesting is they go through all these hard times, and yet they never got divorced. They don't even seem to have considered divorce. And, and as I mentioned in the book, it seems as though Adam and Eve never forgot how beautiful marriage could be. And I thought that was interesting. So I went back and looked at the Old Testament. Looked at, I looked at that. I looked at the book of uh, you know Tobit. I looked at the story with Tobias and Sarah and the fact that the archangel Raphael actually helped orchestrate their marriage. Uh, and pointed out to Tobias that that your 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 coming together in marriage has been destined from eternity. There's so many beautiful things there. So I wanted to do that, but throughout the book, I basically do think I have something there for, uh, you know, certainly for engaged couples, certainly for married couples. I also think this is important for priests because I don't know how much priests are learning in the seminary about the sacrament of matrimony, but I look at it this way. Matrimony is the primordial sacrament. It's the springboard for which we get the rest of the sacraments. And I think that it's so important that, that priests learn to convey that to their congregations, because we, the lady need to hear about the joy uh, and, and primary purpose of the sacrament of matrimony. And what's really beautiful, too, in all of that you just shared, you lay out in the book, you talked about Tobias, Adam and Eve, all of this you begin and then weave the story, the origin, the fulfillment, and also this life-giving sacrament, how the sacrament, you know, as marriage, we give each other that sacrament and how it all goes back to the Eucharist, the, the sacraments of the church. And, and as you mentioned, that 
man and wife and the sacrament of matrimony gives birth to the other sacraments. We don't have baptism, the holy orders, everything. <laughs> and I love right in the beginning, in the foreword of your book, John, there's the canon lawyer, Dr. Catherine Godfrey Howell, brilliant foreword. And she says, I knew it was a keeper right away. She said, chaos and suffering grow to unbearable weight because we refuse to let marriage speak for itself. And that is really powerful because what you talk about and what she says too after reading this is it's it's though this book is yes it's about marriage and failed marriage and restoration and in some difficulties that have, have broken down our understanding of the sacrament but it's also about hope and restoration and a love letter to the eucharist you you talk about as well so it's really beautiful how it has all of those elements woven in well, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, I always point out that uh, Catherine Godfrey Howell's foreword is actually the best part of this book. No, uh, when I got, <laughs> seriously, when I got this, I thought, wow, this is, I was so pleased that she got what I was attempting to do here. And I think that I'm glad uh, you pointed the Eucharist also because, you know, right now we have a, uh, there is a major Eucharistic revival going on in the Catholic Church right now, which is yes. great, which is wonderful. However, it has to be accompanied by a matrimonial revival because as, as uh, Catherine Godfrey Howell points out, the connection between those two sacraments couldn't be clearer. Right. So uh, we have to uh, recognize that, you know, words matter. Uh, we have to recognize that, you know, from the perspective of the sacraments, I think largely if you had, if you had to say, what is the biggest problem? What's the underlying problem for all the problems you see uh, in marriage. And it's sadly, it's easy to find them. As I mentioned in the book in the year, uh, 1969, there were 426,000 Catholic weddings, just that one year, 1969, 426,000 Catholic weddings. By, by 20, 2014, the number, uh, was under hundred was about 148,000 in 2020. The number of Catholic marriages in the United States fell to under 100,000. So we went from, pardon me, from 426,000 to 100,000. What happened? And I think largely the answer is we, for, we either forgot that matrimony was a sacrament or we ignored that it was a sacrament. And I think that we're just not hearing enough from the pulpit. I think that's a, that's a key thing. And we have to realize that um, marriage, is, marriage is good. God loves marriage. God, God hates divorce. God loves marriage. So... We need to, you know, we need to hear that and reinforce that. We need to reinforce uh, from from the pulpit. I think that's key. I mean, it's key to this whole equation. Yeah, and it brings us really to the subtitle of your book because when I read it, I didn't know if it would have an, an adversarial tone or kind of a critical analysis. The title, the full title, Betrayed Without a Kiss and then Defending Marriage After Years of Failed Leadership in the Church. But, you know, when we use phrases like the war on drugs or the war on obesity, in a sense, I mean, I guess applying that to secular entities getting involved and using fundings and initiating programs, if those things aren't working, though, it is an act of justice, I think, to take a real look at what went wrong and in charity. And I've taken that away from your book as well, that as you lay out the numbers and as you just described, the 426,000 and then versus the the dwindling numbers that we see in our, our contemporary era and the skyrocketing annulments, what we need to consider, what we need to look at and be honest about that. And that's not a bad thing. It's very much a sense of fraternity and, and charity. And 
And I really, I want to spend through this hour that we have some time looking at your findings. You mentioned that a little bit there, but I think you do a good job of establishing that the ruination of marriage we know comes in many forms and we need to recognize and look at those things, pornography and the feminist movement when we look at our modern era. But the true villain we know is Satan at the core with a diabolical playbook that has been deployed Mm -hmm. and maybe modified over the centuries, but it's always the same infernal author. And I think that's really important. And you bring us back to that. Our enemy isn't a, a prelate or um, the, you know, the the ex that we had. I mean, it doesn't discount dysfunction and sin, but really that this has always been a, a diabolical war, essentially. And I think that that's really a good message that you emphasize. Well, I appreciate that uh, very much. I, you know, when you look at back to the Adam and Eve, what was the, what was the serpent doing? The serpent was trying to destroy a marriage. It, it's pretty clear. I mean, this right. is this is it. What's interesting is that. You know, the, the serpent thought, well, okay, I've, I've, I've come here, I've wrecked this. These two are going to go to hell. Marriage is wrecked. I win. Except for that didn't happen. Creation fell, but marriage remained intact. Now, the, the, uh, the sacrament of matrimony is a restorative in nature, which is key. So, so Christ is, is, in effect, restoring matrimony to um, what we see in the garden. But it's such a key point that you make because we need to realize that and well, the church needs to do everything she can to nourish marriages. It's so important. And as I, you know, you mentioned annulments. Well, again, back to those numbers. So in 1968, there were only 350 annulments in America. 350 for the whole year. Everyone total in America, 350. By 1989, the number of annulments in America was 70,000. It was over. It was over. Actually, over 70,000. 350 to 70,000. That didn't happen over the course of 2,000 years. It happened over the course of 30 years. So something happened, and I think part of the issue is, first of all, annulments have become far, there's just, the num- it's right in the numbers. I don't really need to point out that, you know, the, the number of annulments is a scandal. I mean, I think that's, I think that's pretty clear. Yeah. But, you know, I think one of the things that we need to realize is, is that there needs to be uh, an effort on the part of the clergy for reconciliation. And I think part of the issue, just functionally, the way this works is, is that many times the first time a husband and wife actually speak to their pastor, it's to tell them they're, you know, they're, they want to get a divorce and they're having problems in the marriage, want to get a divorce, they want to call it quits. And so what tends to happen then is that this is a very sad thing, is that, well, the, the priest, in, in many cases, not all, but in many cases, the priest will get out a brochure about how to obtain an annulment. Why is that? The, why is that happening right away? He, the church should do everything she can to help a reconciliation. Not to mention the fact that you know, you, you know, people are looking for for simply ways out to try to get an but to see what boxes they can check. And in some cases, it's pretty scandalous how all that happens. I mean, when you're trying to think back to your state of mind, you know, twenty, thirty, forty years prior, and like, well, we were you thinking about? It's let's be honest, it's hard. It's hard to do that, right? So. Um, the church needs to help couples, nur- nourish couples in ways that, that that meeting with them, you know, with their priest, thinking about divorce or annulment, or the, maybe the meeting is we already got divorced, right? The church needs to nourish those couples before that meeting ever takes place. 
that's so important. That's so important to, to, you know, to help them reconcile. Yeah. And I think like you're saying, like so many things, it's a cooperation. Things work together. And it's the couple also not just going to the priest only when this is it, they're at a breaking point, but that, you know, reciprocity of they're frequenting the sacraments, they're involved, their priest knows them, they invite them to dinner, there's fellowship, there's prayer, there's solidarity. And of course, that does not discount the challenges, but that is, of course, the dispenser of grace and where we can pull the strength and perspective from that's so needed in the piece. And we have to take a break, but I want to get Rudy before we break calling in from California in Orange County and um, insight on this topic. Rudy, thank you for being with us. You're on with John Clark. Welcome to the program. Oh, thank you. I've done Marriage Encounter, and what I've learned is it's a communication that falls apart a lot of times. One of the things that we teach them is because they'll say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, oh, I'm sorry, and it gets into that routine where it loses. It's like, no, 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 say, will you forgive me? That way, that has more of a weight to the person. The other thing that we teach them also is if you have a fight at night, you do not go to bed until it's resolved. And this is what I've learned. A lot of them uh, with marriage encounter, it's actually redoing the communication Plus, redoing the spark, and we've always encouraged them, if you have a backyard, have a glass of wine out there in the evening after dinner. Do these little things for each other. Well, Rudy, thank you. Thank you for your work. That is a ministry, and God bless you. Your thoughts on that, John? Well, I, I like that. I, I think the key thing is, you know, the priest that, uh, that taught our pre-Cana many years ago, he said, take, he told me, he said, John, take, you know, take Lisa out on a date once a week. And I thought, okay, I can do that. And so I, we've, you know, really been true to that. But I think, I think Rudy's point is excellent because you have to go on dates. But to me, there's nothing more romantic than marriage, right? But, you know, you have to, you have to foster that. You have to, you have to celebrate uh, uh, marriage. It was interesting. We, um, Lisa and I just went to a couple, I mentioned a couple days ago, we had her 31st anniversary, went out to a nice dinner in part to celebrate matrimony, to celebrate the sacrament, to celebrate each other, to celebrate our love, but to celebrate that. But it's so key, yes, it, keep going on dates. And that's, that's, you know, it's so important to have that one-on-one time. And with nine children, <laughs> it hasn't always been that easy to do, but we've always been able to do that date. And I think that's a key part of this. It really is. Yeah, and you say too in the back of your book, you say kindness makes marriage thrive. A smile, a kiss, a kind word, an embrace, a bouquet, a note of encouragement, forgive quickly and permanently. These things are the lifeblood of marriage. So really what Rudy was demonstrating and giving examples and you go on to say one particularly, tr- okay, this is the next chapter. I want to get to this because you talk about finding good role models. I highlighted that. So I want to get to that after the break and much more. We've got a lot to get to. John Clark is with me. We're talking about his new book. Well, it's, I think, not out yet, right, John? It'll be at the end of the month. It comes out October 31st, the day before All Saints. Oh, wow. Okay. So maybe for pre-order, is it available? It is available, yes. Tanbooks.com. You can pre-order right away. Okay. We will continue to explore the pages. It's Brooke Taylor in for Timory. Quick break. When we come back, really beautiful stories of saints who gave their lives for marriage, the sacrament of matrimony, plus what role should pre-cana play in protecting marriage? That and more when we come back. We'll be back in a moment here on Relevant Radio and the app. Stay with us. 
So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. We have a mystery on this week's encounter. While St. Jose Maria Escriva was hearing confessions one morning, he heard a clanging coming from the main church. And the same thing happened the next day and the day after that. What was going on? You can discover the beautiful unfolding and the answer to that question on the mysterious metal sound at relevantradio.com slash encounter. Deepen your love for Christ in the Eucharist. We just were talking about that with John Clark, my guest this hour, and the relation to the reverence, the love of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. And it is a time that we are focusing on Eucharistic revival leading up to the Eucharistic Congress in Indianapolis that we are such a big part of next year. You can sign up for this free video series at relevantradio.com slash encounter. That's relevantradio.com slash encounter. It's Brooke Taylor in for Timory. Welcome back to Trending. John Clark, as I mentioned, my guest this hour, he is the author of the yet-to-be-released Defense on Marriage called Betrayed Without a Kiss. And I want to talk about the cover because it is a classic painting of Henry VIII with Catherine of Aragon. And as we talk about kind of what went wrong with marriage, annulment, divorce. You take us right there. I mean, that is the cover, John. So maybe we could start with that story, a little refresher of those events and why that's so significant to us today. Sure. So King Henry VIII uh, wanted to uh, get divorced from Catherine of Aragon, but their, their first few years together seemed to have actually been great and um, a very great marriage. And one of the things that we forget about King Henry VIII is that the King Henry VIII was a was a pretty staunch Catholic. I mean, he uh, I went through a lot. I went through pretty much every biography of him I could find, and King Henry VIII would go to mass several, not only once a day, not only daily, but actually several times a day. He wrote a treatise in defense of uh, the Church teaching on matrimony. He was really solid, and so part of the problem was is that. Um, uh, he was not able. Catherine was not did not have, give birth to a, a a male baby. So that you know by you know succession rules, th- this was troubling for him. But I really don't know uh, if that was the key thing. I think for him, I think uh, that Henry simply. Uh, I think he had lots, he had problems with the sixth and ninth commandments. That's a nice way of saying it. And so he just decided that he didn't want to be married to Catherine of Aragon anymore. And so what essentially happened was he tried to find a way out and based on, uh, there was, there was sort of a loophole he found and he thought, okay, I can get an annulment because I, I, this is all in the book. I don't want to get too, uh, too in the weeds for the details, but he thought he had found a loophole and appealed to Rome. And he said, look, you should give me an annulment. Here's why. Well, um, he wasn't going to get an annulment for that reason because he'd already gotten a, he had already gotten a dispensation. The marriage was valid. Um, the Pope took too long to come back with uh, refusing to do the annulment. But in the, essentially what happened was is that King Henry VIII um, put through a series of acts that not only was he content to simply leave Catherine for Anne Boleyn, but through a series of acts, he demanded that everyone in England essentially sign off on the idea that, that Anne was the queen. Well, Here was the problem. Well, the biggest problem was is that 
uh, Henry was still validly married to Catherine. Right. But the prop, but but so he made his subjects essentially sign a paper, or or uh, yeah, in some cases actually sign that Anne was a new queen and that was his new marriage. And well, the English people at the time were staunchly Catholics; they weren't going to sign that. And so many of them were martyred. And that's where you know everybody is pretty probably familiar with the story of Saint Thomas More. Saint Thomas More was one of many. John Fisher, uh, Bishop John Fisher, who wouldn't go along with it, uh, he was martyred also. But, um, you know, as I, as I phrase it in the book, I say it was an, it was an alimony of bloodshed. He simply, um, he, and what's interesting about this is, that I think this is, this is it's easy to miss, but King Henry VIII rejected the papacy and matrimony basically simultaneously. And so he wanted his subjects to do the same thing. And King Henry VIII, he, he didn't set out to make this point, but he really did make it that a rejection of the papacy and the rejection of matrimony went hand in hand. He wanted people to leave. The, he essentially wanted them to join his church. What's interesting about this story, too, was I ran into, I had not uh, read this. I mean, I took, uh, you know, we did lots of history at Christendom, and my father was a great historian, but I hadn't, I hadn't realized that when John Fisher was actually put to death, he dressed in his finest clothes and told a servant that this was his marriage day. And he said he wanted to dress for the solemnity of the marriage. He knew, in other words, Bishop John Fisher knew exactly what he was dying for. He was dying to protect the sacrament of matrimony. It's, inc- it's an incredible story. And a lot of these things are lost, but that, that's essentially the, you know, the crux of what was going on there. Yeah, and that's, I think, one of the most powerful chapters we gathered around. I, I read it a few times to my husband and to my sons, and it is the second chapter when Catholics defended marriage to the death. And I just want to share, because I think everyone would benefit from just hearing this excerpt when you talk about how seriously we love and defend the sacraments. It is, we believe what we say and we would die for it. And you say, you, you give examples. And one is U.S. Army Captain Ignatius Maternowski. You said he parachuted into Normandy on June 6, 1944, while two million men carried out their singular mission on that fateful D-Day. Father Maternowski had his own mission. Once his boots touched the ground, he administered anointing of the sick to the dying soldiers. For his efforts, Father Maternowski was shot in the back and killed by a Nazi. Father Maternowski gave his life for the anointing of the sick. And you talk about how then St. John Vianney gave his life essentially for, like, as a white martyr for confession. And that's a really powerful story. Maybe you could touch on that as well. But just the gift and the power of the martyrs and in how our church tells us to study and learn from the lives of the saints. And it's a practice that the magisterium often recommends. And we need that witness for us today in our own strength. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, we are meant to be, um, to live sacramental lives. And as I point out um, in the book, really throughout, this is a thread that runs throughout the book is that, look, if we're going to nourish matrimony, we have to live sacramental lives. By the way, it's not fair to expect uh, the, the priest to, to, you know, to, to nourish our marriages if we're not willing to do that ourselves. I know that when you know, Lisa and I walk up to communion together, our marriage is better for it. When I, go, when I you know, open the door back, when I go to confession, open the door back out, I feel closer to her right away. It's a palpable difference. So the sacramental lives we live 
have an immediate and and very powerfully positive effect. And we have to remember that we have to live that way. And and you know, if you you know, we talked about a date. How about going to mass for a day? How about going to mass once a week? I think that's great. And you could go out and have a milkshake afterward or whatever you want to do. But I think that's a great thing to do. I did want to talk about the story of John Vianney because I thought this was really interesting too. Um, yeah. You just mentioned it. So to me, when I went over this, I was looking over the fact that, um, you know, so many have, there have been so many martyrs for marriage, but St. John Vianney, as you point out, a white martyr for confession, but he, everybody remembers him for, remembers St. John Vianney for confession. So I thought the story was great. So, so there was a woman in France who did not want her son to be married. I, I, I think it was essentially he, maybe she thought he was too young or didn't like the woman he was going to marry. But she traveled, I guess she traveled like a day and a half because at that point, Father John Vianney was pretty famous. So she traveled like a day and a half to go to see him. Well, when she got there, his, the line for confession was literally out to the street. This is not uncommon for Father Vianney, right? So the line is up the street and she thought, oh, I only have a few hours. I'm never going to get a chance to see him awake, but he wasn't commanded the confessional. And she thought, okay, um, I really wanted to ask his, ask his opinion of what I should do about this marriage because I don't want this marriage to go through. She said, well, all I can do at this point because the confessional night is so long, I'm just going to kneel in the back and I'll, you know, say a prayer. I'll ask God and, you know, maybe some, you know, maybe God will, will help me. She's got her head down. She hears steps coming toward her. She looks up and sees Father Vianney walking toward her when she's on her knees, she sees him walking toward her. He passes all these people, comes back. He bends down and whispers in her ear, let them marry. They will be very happy. And he walked back into the confessional. <laughs> Quite a story, right? Wow. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, it's amazing. It, this reminds me of Padre Pio as well. Just so many like that. Yes. Well, and I want to add that because this is such a beautiful part to underscore as you're talking about St. John Vianney. I'll just mention to illustrate your point and drive that home. You say, Father Vianney, a parish priest in the tiny town of Ars, offered France, offered absolution for 18 hours a day for decades. Penitents came from all over France and Europe. Some even came from America by ship. So it can be said, and as you mentioned, that Vianney's confessional line stretched back to the New York Harbor. As Father Vianney lay, lay on his deathbed, penitents came to him and he offered them deathbed absolutions. He gave his life for the sacrament of reconciliation. And then you talk about going forward to those who died for the sacrament of matrimony. And as you mentioned, John Fisher and St. Thomas More. And also, this is a sacrament that undergoes no other scrutiny like marriage does. Could you touch on that as well? Yes, absolutely. So um, the key part about that is, is that if we're asking uh, couples to sort of, you know, go in and check these boxes about, uh, you know, were there pressures on you? Was there this and that? And you have these different pages to look and say, well, could there be an annulment on these grounds? Could there be an annulment on those grounds? Um, you would never do that for baptism, right? I mean, no, you would never. Well, are you sure that baptism was valid? I mean, we don't. God does not want us to, to worry about the sacraments in that respect, right? Was your confirmation valid? Was the confession 20 years ago? Was that valid? It doesn't make any sense. And, and yet, about anointing of the sick, was that, a, was that valid? No. It, it, we don't, in other words, God doesn't want us to think that way. So, so the answer is no. We don't want to be in a position where we're worrying about the efficacy 
of the sacraments because it'll make us all so scrupulous. It, it's, 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 it gets kind of crazy, right? So right. the problem is, is that we're, we are, um, we're almost in, couples are almost encouraged to find reasons why it might not be valid. What other sacrament undergoes that? The sacrament should not be treated that way. And that's the problem. And in canon law, canon law, you know, right now, I'll give you another example. So in, nearly, in every diocese in America that I am aware of, maybe somebody can call and correct me on this, but I believe it is every diocese in America, uh, there is a divorce mandate, which means that before you can go in an annulment hearing, you have to be divorced civilly. To me, when I read canon law, and we learn that, that marriages are presumed valid, right? This is canon law. If that's the case, why is the church, why, why, I shouldn't say the church, why are dioceses mandating that a couple gets a civil divorce prior to even hearing about whether their, their, their marriage is valid? That, that's incredibly backward because, you know, I'm not an expert on divorce, but I will say, I, will, I do know this, a contentious divorce could easily run in the six figures. Right. So, so the diocese are saying, no, go and get your civil divorce and then come or hear it. Why? The first thing we ought to be doing is helping reconcile. That should be always the first thing. You should know, say no. We know that God hates divorce. It's just the Bible, <laughs> right? So I, don't, I think that is troubling. So the idea, there was almost a presumption that the annulment will happen. Because if there weren't, why would you have that mandate in the first place? Yeah, and I think, too, that goes, again, it, it roots back to proper formation, pre-cana, prep. And in, you point out, too, that a sacramental marriage should model Christ's total love on the cross for his bride. And I think that that's key because any vocation is a school of charity and a means of crucifixion. Your vocation is the means by which your your self-serving ego will die in order to be resurrection resurrected as a servant and lover of God. And now uh, that doesn't justify dysfunction or disorder, anything like that. But I think the idea of it's okay that you're going to go through challenges often is missed because one party might be willing to work it out and another isn't. And so how much do you think that relates back to people expecting that their vocation is going to satisfy the longing we have for God, that the whole mystery of existence, you know, that this person I found will fulfill my mystery of existence? Because I think what people miss is that that this, this perpetual perplexity of life, uh, sufferings, it entails being fulfilled even when you may not be happy at every moment. And it's not a contradiction, but really part of the beauty of surrender. So do you think that that from the beginning is a big piece of the puzzle also, that understanding? Uh, well, absolutely. I mean, I would look at it this way. We we need to, this is why we need to recognize that, you know, that there was a, there was a directive, I think it was sort of a trial balloon uh, about having uh a pre-cana program that lasted like 15 months. And the idea was, well, because this can be used as sort of a way of teaching the faith that it's a 15 month thing. The problem with that, of course, is, is that there's a natural law right to marry. And 15 months, I think is simply far too long to wait. Uh, but I think that, I think that pre-cana, as I mentioned in my book, my first pre-cana teachers were my mom and dad. Right. In the sense that when I, when I was a baby, I would see these two people 
they seemed to be really attentive to me. They both, they seemed to, to love each other and they were, you know, they were attentive to me. I would look up and that was my pre cana class. I think that one of the things that, that, that the church should, should do, I think priests should do is um, speak about what a good spouse looks like. I don't remember, you know, it's funny, I'm 52, but I don't remember ever hearing a sermon like that. And you think, well, is that the church's place? Well, yes, because if, if the, if the priest is giving a sermon on, um, you know, vir- virtues and how, you know, how to look for a virtuous person to marry, it's a, it's a perfect place to hear that. So, so John Paul II actually spoke about this in, uh, he spoke about it several times about the idea that there are different stages of pre-cana. There, there's the, pre, the, the a, a great way to, to prepare for marriage is to prepare for dating. What should I look for? That's really important. By the way, if I were in the congregation, I heard that sermon, I would want to be the sort of man to live up to what he was outlining. I think it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. You know, even growing up, I, I really, I wanted to be a, yeah, I really wanted to be a father. I mean, I, you know, I grew up, I had six brothers. I really wanted to be a dad. I don't know if that's like a common <laughs> thing that, you know, teenage men have, but I just wanted to be a really good dad. I, I just, that's what I wanted. And I also wanted to be a good husband too. But I really think that the pre-cana should not be sort of a period of a few months or a few weekends or whatever. And by the way, a lot of the pre-cana programs in America, well, they're, they're not very good. Uh, I think that's probably the kind way of saying it. But, but pre-cana should be an approach from the pulpit from very early on. I mean, again, if priests are speaking uh, well of marriage, um, I think that's where it all starts. And I think that's something to be to hear from a very young age up to the point where the day we marry and then beyond and talk about how good marriage, marriage can be. So, and that's part of it. I want to mention the phone lines again, one 914 And we're talking about the permanence, the sacrament of holy matrimony. Uh, and I mean, we could easily just spend a whole hour on the theme that we're talking about right now, but anything you want to add, would love to hear from you regarding marriage, seeing marriage restored or formation or things that have worked for you. We have just a minute before your break. Do we have time for a question, Jim, or do we have to break right now? Okay, real quick. I wanted to ask, as you touched on that and, and you always wanting to be a dad, John, again, John Clark joining me, how was your own marriage sh- shaped how did your marriage shape this book as you were writing it? Well, I would put it this way. My wife makes it very easy to write well of marriage. Mm. I guess I would say it that way. I think, I think that um, I couldn't have written this. I don't think I could have written this particular book unless I'd been married for a few decades, to be honest, because I think that there is sort of the first person experience, which is not, there's not really a substitute for and, you know, sometimes we look at, and I always tell people, look, we have, we have a storybook marriage. We have a marriage that you read about. I hope my wife would say the same thing. <laughs> also. Yeah, but we, we really do have a storybook marriage, right? And I think people sometimes naturally assume, well, they just got lucky. Well, hmm, we got grace, right? That we, yeah. you know, we got the grace from God. We got sacramental grace. We got actual grace. Um, we got grace from God. That is definitely true. But we've had hurdles we've had to overcome, too. The question is, how will you face hurdles? Everybody's going to have them. We've had, you know, setbacks and, you know, financially and, you know, maybe the children are sick, all of these different things. But the key thing is, is that because we've lived sacramental lives together, those things have brought us closer. That, that's sort of how suffering works generally, right? Mm-hmm. Suffering is either going to bring you closer to God 
or it's going to take you farther away. So you've got to just, you know, ask God to hold you, you know, hold you to a sacred heart. Whatever difficulties you're going through, just ask God to, to hold you close to a sacred heart to help you get through these times and get closer to him. That's what we ought to be praying. We ought to be praying that the, that the suffering can bring us closer to God. And together, that, that is what makes a wonderful marriage. You know, just to illustrate that, and and then I know we got to take a break here, but just in the spring, we were in the Holy Land, and beautiful group of souls that were gathered, and for the first time, my husband was able to join us, and, and we've been married 23 years, and so it was exciting that we were together in different couples. There were singles, there were um, widows and widowers that were there on this journey, and in the last few days of the trip, we were there in Jerusalem and walking on the Via Dolorosa. We got up at five in the morning before the city was awake and we processed through carrying a cross and it was a very big, heavy cross and the men generally would take turns carrying. And by the end of the stations of the cross, everyone in the group had on their own in that prompting taken the cross and carried it, except one gentleman hadn't. And that evening, as we were all gathered and talking, and he was a big, strong guy, his voice cracked. And he said, I realized at the end of the Stations of the Cross, I did not carry the cross. And he said, but I was embracing my wife and I was holding her up because at the end of this trip, she had a lot of physical problems and she had pushed through so much. She had claustrophobia. She had overcome cancer twice and she was spent. And it was such a powerful moment because the cross he was carrying, and of course, not in a dragging way, but in this beautiful, this, this is, you know, this lifelong forged bond that, um, they're experiencing together the way of the cross. And I think it really just illustrated the symbolism, the beauty of that sacrament and uniting it to our Lord and the resurrection. On that note, we have full phone lines. And so I want to take calls when we get back on the other side of the break. John Clark is my guest this hour. He is the author of the yet to be released Defense on Marriage called Betrayed Without a Kiss. It's Brooke Taylor in for Timory. This is trending here on Relevant Radio on the app. We'll be right back. Stay with us. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Did you know we are eight weeks away from the season of Advent? I know it's too early to talk about, but the reason that I mention it is because we are giving away nativity sets to 200 listeners. We want to make sure that you have yours in plenty of time to display it outside your home all throughout the Advent and Christmas season. So just visit relevantradio.com slash set and that's it. You're in the running. And the nativity set, by the way, it's an over $500 value. So it's one you'll have, you'll keep in the family and pass down again just go to relevantradio.com slash set. Register before midnight central time, October 15th for your chance to win. The Family Rosary Across America with Father Rocky is coming up next on this Feast of St. Faustina, the Apostle of Mercy. We have just a few minutes left with my guest, John Clark. He is a political speechwriter, columnist, holds a degree in political science and economics from Christendom College, and talking about his new book, Betrayed Without a Kiss for the Last Hour. Lots of calls, John. I want to see if we can squeak in a few here. Maria is calling from Bakersfield, California, with a question I think is often 
you know, raised when we have a topic like this and we talk about navigating challenges in mar- uh, marriage. Maria, are you with us? Hi, yes. Hi. So my question is, how much cross should we bear um, when it comes to having the, the other, you know, the, the partner who has a narcissistic personality and um, who emotionally, physically abuses you and your children? Um, um, mm, I'm going through a divorce now and unfortunately I feel guilty of helping the evil one win. Um, but I want to say that I think God knows that I tried all my resources and I try to help my husband as much as possible for the last six years, six, seven years. And it just came to the conclusion about like, you know, do I continue helping him and and bearing my cross or do I try to save my children from being from learning these bad behaviors your thoughts God bless you Maria John yeah absolutely well uh, I would just say this so the church is always allowed for separation for an abuse situation Uh, that's you know we really want to drive that point home the church is always allowed for separation for abuse this is, yeah. So in terms of prayers, we can always pray for people, but, uh, you know, the church is fine. And, you know, th- th- in fact, the church is very clear about this. The church is, uh, that there has to be a separation. So. Yeah. And how is that John in the case of one being willing and the other just not, I mean, that seems often where things get stuck. Well, so in a case of, let's say someone is not practicing their faith or practicing their faith well versus someone who is would be a, you know, an example, I think, of, I think is the question you're getting at. So uh, we would have a duty to pray them back. I mean, that's, that's, that's the key thing. I mean, God gave us free will. And so at, at some point, it's going to come to that. It's going to come to that thing. But we can make an effort to pray them back and, uh, you know, help them get to heaven. There, there are difficult. It is not the thesis of my book, that, by the way, that um, that there should never be findings of nullity. It is not, not the thesis of my book that um, uh, no marriages are ever troubled. Clearly, there are. But I think in the case of someone who finds, you know, himself or herself in a troubled marriage, keep the prayers going. I mean, there's a power of prayer. Keep them going. I, I hope that doesn't come across as too simplistic. But the fact of the matter is, is that, that I think there are ways to encourage, um, you know, a, a husband or wife to, to live their faith more. And, I, and one of the things I talk about here, and I think one of the things that can, be, can help assist that happen, is the finding good role models. Uh, I, I have a section on that specifically for this reason, because a lot of times we pick role models who were really bad. Um, I, don't, I don't have to give the litany of sort of who's famous in Hollywood right now and things like that, right? But... Um, we need to, we need to stop. Our role models historically have been the saints, right? But, uh, you know, here on earth, it is so important that we, um, we find good role models and we associate with, uh, good companions. That's key. And I think that, you know, we, we can help each other, uh, find those good companions. That's very important to this. We're going to find good husbands and fathers and find, um, you know, find good wives. So, so that, and moms. So that I think is a key part of this whole thing. Find good and- role models. 
And I, if I may also add, John, I, Maria, I would recommend, there's a great book by my friend Layla Miller, and it's called Impossible Marriages Redeemed, and it's 50 stories of redemption, detailed marriages. I think that's part of it, too, is when every marriage is so personal and unique, and so when it's fractured or troubled, it's hard to feel like anyone's going to quite understand. You feel lonely, it's isolating, and I think... It's helpful to be accompanied, as you mentioned, good examples, John, the lives of the saints, and also beyond all statistics, these marriages that were redeemed and pulled back from the brink. And it's called Maria. The book is called Layla Miller, Impossible Marriages Redeemed. And it's called, they didn't end the story in the middle. I'm sorry, the subtitle. And if you just go to LaylaMiller.net, I think she makes it available as a PDF so that everyone can have access to it. But I would recommend that as well. We just have a few more minutes, uh, John, and I want to try to get, we've got a bunch of calls and I know they're really good. And I also wanted to get some fi- final thoughts. So let's see if we can grab John in Orlando who teaches, I think John teaches pre-Cana. Is that you? Are you with us, John? Yeah, I am with you, and I was just thinking about the nar- the poor woman with the narcissistic husband, and uh, I'm also a family physician, the narcissistic personality disorder is one of the ones that's very hard to treat, and so God bless her, but I teach pre-K, and we have 52 couples coming to our class in two days, amazing, right, for, uh, very excited about getting married, and we, I get to teach the section of fertility awareness and respecting, um, having the mutual respect for each other, and that's really a good time to find out if, in fact, your prospective spouse has a narcissistic or any other personality disorder because really I try to, to convey to them as a doctor that I've been for many years now um, that, that the doctor, the husband needs to allow that woman to be herself in marriage. And I, I would like to maybe have you address that. I know you've, you've seen a cause of a lot of divorces is that the men are just too selfish and that the women have to be on birth control or get sterilized or whatever's happening to their bodies. And I explained to them, don't, don't, you know, marry the woman that God wanted her to be in her natural state with a natural reproductive cycle, clearly they need to learn this stuff, and I'm sure you'd agree. Dr. John Little, thank you. John, your thoughts? I was going to say, first of all, we're neighbors because I live in Kissimmee as a side point, but just real quick. So I think (laughs) that it comes back to the pre-cana has to start much earlier, and I think you'd agree, right, John? So it's about finding a good spouse. I think that's a key part of this, and that's something that could be addressed in the pulpit, how to avoid a narcissistic boyfriend, right? I mean, that's something we could talk about also is that we should be looking to, you know, to see, you know, signs for that and then find, you know, try to find good spouses. That's very well said. So much fantastic information in your new book, and it's with grace and charity and hope. Thank you again to my guest, John Clark. We will post the book, Betrayed Without a Kiss, available for pre-order by Tan Books. Now that information we also talked about on the trending show page. God bless you. Thank you for your work, John. It's Brooke Taylor in for Timory. The Family Rosary Across America with Father Rocky is next. Thank you to Jim Shaper and Patrick Alog on the phones. St. Joseph, St. Faustina, pray for us.